There are people that have made it out of the quote unquote pandemic that are closing now because, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's a whole nother layer of challenges that they're having to deal with. And it does just become a little overwhelming. Today on Dirty Linen, we're doing something a little bit different. We are traveling, I'm so excited, across to Houston, Texas. Our guest today is Felaine Farrell. She is the managing partner of Black Restaurant Week, a nationwide campaign that showcases over 1,500 businesses and culinary professionals annually. She is also the chairwoman of Feed the Soul Foundation. Felaine, I am so excited to be talking to you. Welcome to Dirty Linen. No, thank you for having me. Well, Felaine, tell us a little bit about Black Restaurant Week and Feed the Soul Foundation. Yeah, so uh, Black Restaurant Week was started in 2016 in Houston, Texas, really as a way to showcase um, the Black culinary community. Uh, we do have quite a few food festivals and restaurant weeks in Houston, but we realized um, a lot of businesses in the Black community weren't being showcased and um, not because they're being excluded. It's just they didn't have the business model Um you know, of the three course, two course, fine dining style, we have a lot more casual, fast, casual, you know, barbecue restaurants, things like that in our community. So we want to create a platform that was all inclusive um, for the community, really to kind of just showcase who they were. Um, first year, we had about 20 participating restaurants, and it was such a success that one of the chefs came and was like, next year, make this two weeks. And ever since then, we've literally been expanding. Um, and so now we host 15 regional campaigns across uh the nation, um, as well as a campaign in Toronto, Canada, which is actually wrapping up in a couple of days. Um, and so it's it's really been amazing just kind of watching it grow, being able to tell the story of the culinary um, scene just in all these different communities and help businesses at the same time. And that's really where Feed the Soul Foundation kind of started as well. Um, Black Restaurant Week is really a marketing campaign. We're here to market and promote awareness of Black culinary businesses. But we also notice, you know, it's just very challenging to own a restaurant. And there's still a learning curve when you're just a small business trying to figure it out on your own. And for the foundation, we just want to step in and provide a little bit more support to the restaurant owners um, so they know they weren't doing this on their own. And so we provide grants and um, business development consultations and other different types of resources to really make sure that they're sustainable and that they're really able to grow within their business. That's so good. And I mean, what funds the foundation? So uh, definitely corporate support. <laughs> um, you know, we've been blessed the past two years. Uh, Grubhub has a community fund. And so they've been able uh, to really support us as well. Um, Makers Mark actually was one of our first uh, corporate partners um, last year and kind of helped us launch the foundation. And um, we've worked with Kendra Scott. So we've really been working with companies that just see the value into supporting small businesses. Um, we're actually a really new foundation. We're, uh, we started in 2020. Um, and so we're still young, <laughs> but to have the amount of corporate support we've had to be able to really provide value to the businesses has been really phenomenal. Um, this year, we were able to provide 300000 uh, in grants to businesses across the nation. Um, last year, we provided 250000 
And of course, you know, I'm not a trust fund baby. So that's definitely (laughs) coming from the help of corporate and community partners um, to really make it happen. Um, Flaine, it's really interesting, you know, you, you said at the start, it's not about, I guess, you know, any outward dis- or explicit discrimination that these restaurants weren't already getting attention and being highlighted. I mean, it's a really interesting point, you know, working as a food journalist, I guess we're always, um, you know, thinking about which restaurants have a light shined on them and I guess how to um, make sure that, you know, restaurants of all different types are, are getting that platform and that airtime. I mean, what do you what do you see, whether it's the media landscape or the way that, I don't know, social media works? Like what, yeah, what, what is it, what are some of the issues that you see? Well, I think, um, number one, I mean, these are really small businesses, so they really aren't starting out with a publicist or even marketing teams to kind of help get the word out, to really put them in front of the media. Um, Actually, you know, when we were first doing Black Restaurant Week, when we would go into cities and we wouldn't have those stapled, established restaurants participating, we got nervous because we were like, we thought we needed them to validate the campaign. Actually, it turned out to be the opposite. The community thrives to find new places. The press loves finding out about new places. And so year over year, the question is always, who's the new concept, right? They're trying to discover something new. So um, I think it's a lot of reasons why these restaurants kind of fly on the radar. You know, some a lot of them don't have websites. Um, some of them are still learning social media. Um, and so... You know, I I think that's why we're important, because we find the restaurants that you just typically wouldn't know, you know, and um, we are able to showcase them on a local, national and regional level so that they're getting hits. We get hits on our website all year long. So even if we do a campaign in April, we're still getting traffic from that city, you know, in December. So that I just think having platforms like ours just to help create awareness will also help the media as well. But mm. I, I agree. I don't think it's intentional. I just think, you know, any average person, you're not going to search too hard. You're just going to go what's in front of you. And a lot of these businesses just aren't really in front of media to really kind of help them get that attention. Yeah. I mean, and do you find that the outcome is, is it about, is there a sort of community pride outcome uh, out of Black Restaurant Week as well as that sort of increased customer base? It definitely is. Um, So we're very accommodating to the restaurants. Uh, We tell everyone that we understood that the culinary community was the most important stakeholder. You know, anybody else will probably say, oh, it's the sponsors or, oh, it's this. But we realized if the restaurants and the food trucks and the bakeries didn't have buy-in of the platform, we wouldn't have a platform. And so it's free for them to participate. Um, We don't take any percentage of sales that they earn during the campaign. And they understand that we're just here to champion and support them. Um, And I think that's really what makes a difference. So even, I think now you get to the point where we've had restaurants that are actually like they're calling us in January. Like what are the dates this year? Because they've seen the increase in sales on their, on their books and they understand the value. And like you said, the, 
the energy that comes in the city when Black Restaurant Week happens, the community comes out, everyone's just in a good mood. People love food. <laughs> we tell people telling someone to go go out and eat is probably the easiest part of our job. So, um, you know, I think they start to live in that. We've heard a lot of testimonial from restaurants where they've talked about themselves as business owners, being able to participate. They learn who the other business owners are. They start to build their own network, which is very instrumental if you think of a small business owner, you know. And so, you know, we've seen caterers go after contracts together. Um, We've seen young chefs get mentors. Like, we've seen a lot happen just from starting to put all the connections together for this culinary community um, because it still goes to there was never a platform like this. My father was a chef. Uh, he was more of a corporate chef, but I mean, just growing up and watching his career, like, I mean, <laughs> there really wasn't anywhere for him to shine to the community. And so it's it's been really interesting just watching how this project unfolds and, and watching the culinary community kind of like take ownership of it as well. I'd love to learn a bit more about your journey to doing this. I mean, was it the the fact that your father was a chef that led you down a a path in hospitality as well? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The past year I've been kind of just, you know, you kind of start to look back at your life and you're like, oh, wow, I guess this is what I was meant to do. So, um, no, my father was a chef, but he was always a corporate chef, worked in um, hotel and then the um, hospital as the corporate executive chef. But And he never wanted to own a restaurant. The perspective that gave me (laughs) was that there's a lot more to the culinary space than just the restaurant owner. And that's why if you look at our platform, it's something for everyone. We have something for the bartenders, for the food trucks, for the caterers. Um, We're creating a marketplace for those that have sell culinary products because not every you know, person in the industry is a restaurant owner. There's a lot of chefs that will flat out tell you, I don't want to own a restaurant. And the question became, well, what can we do for them, right? How do we really make this all-inclusive for the Black culinary community? And that that really was just from my dad's story. And um, his family had a catering business that had been open for years in the Houston community. So just understanding the dynamics and the layers to the industry you know, that was uh, really a family kind of like legacy thing that I want to do. I wanted to pay homage to the legacy without being in the kitchen. <laughs> and so that's how I did it. Um, but I went to school for marketing. I've always had a passion for helping, you know, small businesses. And so it it really was a natural fit when um, Warren Luckett, uh, the guy who originally thought of this concept, pitched it to me and Derek, um, we were me and Derek had our own like digital marketing firm and we just wanted a project that we could have free creative reign on. And so it was just a really natural marriage of just, you know, professionals and ideas and creatives. And as a team, you know, I just think we're very bold as in like the sky's the limit. (laughs) Um, We push sponsors, sponsors push us. That's how we've really been able to just grow something so monumental within a short time. It's uh, We actually had our biggest expansion during COVID, which most businesses can't say. Um, so it's, it's been really interesting to watch the journey. 
Yeah, that's really so incredible and really impressive. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, that some of that marketing just in terms of shining a light and platforming these restaurants. Uh, also, the fact that some of these businesses don't have websites. I mean, what kinds of, what are the big issues that you, you see business owners facing in terms of, you know, whether it's human resources or marketing or operations? What, what, are, the, what are their biggest struggles and, and what are you able to do to assist them? Uh, well, first, they'll always tell you capital. <laughs> capital is always going to be the first issue. Uh, the the one big difference between businesses in our community versus other communities is a lot of them are starting this with personal savings, personal credit cards. Um, there's really not a chunk of funding that they're using to create their businesses. And that, you know, that does have an effect on the rest of your operations because everything, every dollar just becomes a stretch, Right. And so um, I would first say capital. Then two, I would say what we've seen is a lot of restaurants, a lot of businesses in the black community are starting out of survival and out of need versus out of like education, right? A lot of them aren't going to hospitality schools or culinary schools. They're starting their businesses based off of a passion of my grandmother's recipe. And so the learning curve that they have is different, right? And so it's not that they don't know they need all these things. The question just becomes, um, where do I get the resources? And I like to like tell people that because, you know, (laughs) there's always comments on the internet about uh, black businesses, like, or small restaurants, like, oh, the customer service wasn't this. And, you know, they're always railing and making it seem like the business owner doesn't care or doesn't know of the pitfalls of their business. And I'm like, they know the pitfalls. They either don't have the money to fix it or they don't know any consultants. Like, they don't have the resources to fix it. Um, And so we have to start having that conversation. What are the real resources they need? So when you look at the foundation, that's what makes us different. Our Restaurant Business Development Program provides $10,000 uh, cash grant for them to do whatever they need to do. But then we also give them six months of business consultation, uh, business development services. Uh, the first two months, they're going through financial conversations with a consultant one-on-one because every business isn't the same. Like My financial needs may be different from the next business. So instead of looping everybody in one class, Let's let you work with someone one-on-one. And that's really the beauty of the program. Then they go through marketing. And then the last two months, they actually get to pick which area they need support in. So someone may say, hey, I really need help in menu development. My menu's not profitable. My food costs are too high. How can I make my menu more profitable? Great. Let's bring you a chef that can sit down and work with you and build out a proper menu for your restaurant. Um, We did that last year for a barbecue restaurant in Houston. One simple change, the chef walked in and it was like, put all your smoked uh, carved meats out to the front of the line so everyone could see it. The first day they did that, they sold out, you know, and it's just, it's such a simple change. But at the same time, like you would need a professional to tell you that. And (laughs) most of them just don't have access to that. So I would just say access is probably just the biggest issue. But I do want to dispel the myth that Small businesses don't know or don't care about the red flags of their business. They know them all. They just don't know how to fix it. It's so, it must be so satisfying to work in such a tr- 
transformative organization. It's yeah, really exciting. It sounds like you've got different kinds of experts you can tap into to really, you know, work out how to help businesses in all these different areas. Um, yeah, I just that's such a powerful story about yeah, just moving the meat. It's going to make a big difference. <laughs> yeah, and it's so simple, right? And I think, um, and it's just it's not till you become a small business owner that you understand like the the amount of weight that a business owner has. I mean, I think people work in different fields like corporate and they think that that's, you know, that's not the truth. Like y'all have departments. A small business owner is the HR department, the marketing department, the finance department. Like they are a one man walking corporation. And that's a lot to like take in and understand as a business owner where your weaknesses are and understand how to help um, kind of like, improve those areas. I mean, it's a, it's a learning curve. And so, you know, we just have to be a little bit more grace, you know, with the businesses. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I certainly think grace from the customer side would certainly be welcome to be more understanding and not to be like smashing out a mean Google review because you didn't get your plate, you know, in fast time. But I think also, you know, to offer that, that, you know, any business owner could relate to that, you know, that's that tension between being in your business and working on your business and for you to be able to provide that perspective. Uh, yeah, it just must be a, a, such a such a relief for some of these business owners. But it's, it's scary to think about people launching a food business off a credit card. And, you know, we know the margins are so slim as it is. And to have to build in those interest margins on a credit card is all it's, it's you know, they're almost behind before they start, aren't they? Mm-hmm. No, they are. And I mean, the banks will flat out tell you we don't lend to restaurants because it is such a it's such a hard it's just a competitive industry. And like you said, the margins are so slim. So there, you know, it's just not a lot of places for them to go and get wealth to start their business. Um, so I, I think that's been but, you know, there are a lot of programs out there now. I mean, there's you know, as the internet continues to grow between YouTube and all these other resources, I mean, there are ways to find information, but, you know, it, like you said, we just have to understand that that's probably the biggest issue. They're not, they're not starting a restaurant in a hospitality group where you have a corporate chef and you have, you know, the publicist and the marketing, like they're just, you know, me and my, my teenage son, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of, uh, two sisters in Indianapolis, you know, and they created their restaurant because they wanted a place for their sons to go and not be in the streets, you know, getting caught up doing things. So they were like, hey, let's start a business, make it for them, make it a, a safe place where they could come every day, have a good time. They're playing like rap music and things like that to make it a fun atmosphere for their, their sons. And they've done very well. And so, as I said, it's like, we're usually not starting businesses based off of numbers. It's really based off of passion. Well, what are the sisters serving in their restaurant? So they serve pizza, which is really good. And the cool thing is they buy uh, like this garlic butter from another black owned business in the, in the city. I mean, it's like some of the best pizza. And she was actually featured 
on, um, she's actually in a cohort this year. <laughs> so um, The Missing Brick in Indianapolis. Uh, and Indianapolis randomly has really good food. I think the cool thing about Black Restaurant Week, we go to certain communities and you're like, okay, we'll see what this is about. And then you're like, oh, wow, this food is actually really tasty. But <laughs> that was like... Uh, <laughs> Some of my, my favorite pizza is actually from there. Um, so, yeah, she, her and her uh, family, they've done really well. She was actually featured on the cover of, like, Pizza Today magazine, like this black female pizza shop owner. So, uh, but a really cool concept. And like I said, based started out of passion, you know. Uh, I just love that. Well, Flayden, I mean, uh, this is the first conversation out of the whole series I want to do around Black Restaurant Week. So I'm feeling like um, the pizza in Indianapolis has got to be part of that a part of that list. They sound amazing. And can I also just say, uh, excuse me, Pizza Today magazine. I did not know that that existed. <laughs> I didn't either, but I was like, oh, that's dope. Like, and she's just sitting there smiling. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think that's been the great thing about this um, platform. We've learned so many interesting stories. Uh, another restaurant in our cohort from last year out of Baltimore is actually um, she wanted to kind of cut back on the food waste. So she's like a seafood shop and she learned how to turn her food waste into pet food. So now she's creating like fresh uh, dog food, you know, um, with some of the products, you know, left over from her her fish sandwiches. I don't know. I, I just people are so innovative and creative. And like I said, they've just never had a story or a platform to just tell the world what they do. And so, you know, we're just happy to be here to do that for them. Oh, I just love that. Oh my God. I just, food businesses, I mean, this is just why I love what I do. It's like, there are just absolutely compelling stories behind every single food business. It's, I mean, as you say, like they're they're so often built out of, you know, just heart or need or, you know, like a future that they want to create. These aren't, um, you know, businesses that are built out of spreadsheets. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's just so, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to continue these conversations. Um, Felaine, you know, you, you mentioned the pandemic, obviously, you know, it's not over yet. And one thing that really shocked me about, you know, just reading the news from the US over the past couple of years is that one of the most vulnerable groups in terms of illness and death was line cooks in restaurants in the US and you know we know that a lot of those um those folks in those in those jobs are um from you know they're, they're people of color from whether it's the black community or Mexican community or other people of color what I mean this that just must be devastating to know of to be yeah to be um aware of what can you tell us about the, that situation and that, that vulnerability um, it's still playing out when you really look at probably this year, you know, every year as we do Black Restaurant Week and we're registering businesses, we start to just hear some of the, the challenges they have. And so by far, the biggest challenge we've heard is staffing. Um, we'll come to restaurants with different, you know, business opportunities like, hey, this company wants to do you know, a dinner and movie activation with your restaurant and they'll, they'll have to turn down the offer because they just don't have the staff um, to accommodate. And so I, I think that's unfortunate. And that kind of speaks to, as we talked about the community, um, the greater community, just being a little bit more accommodating because, you know, a lot of businesses are still really dealing with a shortness of staff. And like you said, there's a whole 
just entity of people that are gone, right? Everyone's like, every everyone's talking about, you know, the great resignation and all these jobs, but no one's talking about the reality is a large part of our population, unfortunately, passed away. Um, so I would say for the small business owner, we are still seeing the effects of that. Like I said, um, a lot of them are still struggling with staffing and you have to talk about inflation. So when you talk about staffing and inflation, there are people that have made it out of the quote unquote pandemic that are closing now because, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's a whole nother layer of challenges that they're having to deal with. And it does just become a little overwhelming. What are things like in Houston or Texas more broadly? Like, I mean, what is the food scene like there and, and how, are, how are people tracking at the moment? So I say the interesting thing about Black Restaurant Week and community that we see is that there are certain cities. Um, Houston has just always built itself as an affordable city. So because of that, we've seen a lot of growth. You know, that's not across every city we go to, but Houston by far, um, there's been a lot of restaurants that have been opening since we've been doing Black Restaurant Weeks, you know, seven years ago. The most amazing thing, like this year, we were writing an article about, you know, 10 new restaurants or new restaurants to try. And there were like so many restaurants in Houston that we made Houston its own article, um, you know, and, and so... That's been really interesting. Another city we've always seen some growth to is, is Atlanta. Um, now, we just finished Black Restaurant Week um, in New York. Unfortunately, we saw a lot more closures this year. And some other cities you wouldn't think about, but like New Orleans got hit really hard because it's such a tourism town that when you take away their festival season starts in February and ends in November. So when you take away Mardi Gras and all these big conventions, you know, the small businesses there were really struggling. So it was, it was always kind of interesting as we would go year over year, city market to market, who, what cities were really getting hit hard versus what cities were just kind of growing and prospering, you know? And so that's, that's been really interesting to watch. South Florida got hit a little bit harder than other parts um, of Florida that we saw. So it's, it's been a mixture depending on just the city and real estate. Now, the other issue that we're starting to see, <laughs> I, I know I see a lot of issues. The other issue that's starting to be a little heartbreaking is real estate. So with the prices of real estate going up, you have businesses that have been in the community for like 20 plus years that are now having to close or move because the landlord wants to increase the rent. You know, and it's just not affordable for them anymore. And it's so unfortunate because you would think as a landlord, this is a great, you know, business just to have in the community and anchor it. But we're actually to see that struggle, too, where you have um, businesses having to close or relocate that have been in communities for years just because real estate costs are like, you know, skyrocketing. Yeah, it's such a mixed picture that you paint, Felaine. It's, you know, interesting, I guess, that, you know, it seems good like a city, when a city grows, like population coming in, but then I guess that can impact on rents and, you know, property market becomes tighter. It's, it's sort of like there's never, <laughs> nothing's ever like, you know, purely good, it seems. It's, there's always, you know, a flow on effect that could be a little bit tricky to manage. Right, right. And I like to hear, I, it's not, um, you know, then you have, landlords that have been trying to recoup all the money they lost over the years. It's a lot of things going on. I think 
probably it's going to take another year or two really for a lot of things to settle for us to just see all of the effects of what happened from the pandemic. But, um, you know, one of our businesses have been in the third ward community like for years and his, uh, you know, he has to relocate because the the landlord is just like, no, I'm increasing the rent. And, you know, he's just trying to make as much money as he can. Um, so it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Felaine, if I was to come and visit you in Houston, tell me some restaurants you'd take me around to. Like, what would we be eating? Well, it's Texas, so you have to start with barbecue. <laughs> yes, I'm fully on board for that. <laughs> yeah. So we have the cool thing, though, in Houston is we have different types. Like we have your traditional Texas barbecue with raised barbecue, but then a famous barbecue there from Tennessee. So they offer that style of barbecue. We have a Boogie's. He's from Chicago. So he does the rib tips and all that. Um, Something that's been going on uh, in the Black community, period, is uh, vegan restaurants are starting to pop up. Um, So there are a lot of interesting vegan restaurants. And um, Mo Better Brews is like a vegan coffee spot that people have been raving about. Um, Texas also, I would say everyone asks us like the best three cities, you know, for Black Restaurant Week. I don't say Houston just because I'm from there, but um, Houston is a really diverse food scene. Um, We have like the largest Nigerian population or one of the largest Nigerian populations uh, in the U.S. So we have West African food. Um, You have the Creole uh, kind of uh, flavor because we're close to Louisiana. Then you have the, the soul and the soul food of the South. I mean, um, so you could get some just really great hearty food in Houston. And, and um, so it's a place people are like, why did I come to Houston? Like to eat. Like it's it's probably one of the best things to do in Houston is just walk around and eat. It's called like the culinary capital of the South. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, why do I go anywhere? It's to eat. So Houston <laughs> definitely sounds like my kind of town. So, um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm yeah, just thinking of all those different types of barbecue. That is, I'm definitely going to need a long time to eat my way through that. Um, Felaine, I'm just wondering, you know, from all your experience in helping restaurants, I'm wondering if, you know, there are some things that you just see over and over again that, you know, any small business owner, you know, even here in Australia could take from your experience. Like, are there any strategies or tips that you, you, that you reckon would be pretty broadly applicable to restaurant businesses? I would say two things. Um, hire a food photographer. <laughs> um, we are in the age of digital everything. And, you know, uh, you really want to showcase your food in the best way possible. Don't hire a regular photographer. Hire a food photographer. I think if businesses could just invest in that at least once a year and just have that great you know, portfolio of great food images. It will just take you so far in your marketing efforts. And um, number two, uh, I would say just befriend food bloggers, Um, you know, to have them come in and and do the reels, you know, it's such a low cost. Usually you just have to give them food, right? Um, They just want to get the experience of your restaurant. And so if you are struggling on social media and things like that, or, you know, even when you talk about website development, I just think those are like two low hanging fruit things that a lot of small businesses, small restaurants tend to not invest in. Um, But it could just help carry you so far, you know, so I would say definitely 
food photographers and befriending food bloggers just so they could capture some great social media content for you and kind of help spread the word about what you're doing at your restaurant. Love that. So actionable. Really, yeah, really, really appreciate those two tips, Felaine. Um, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, probably last thing, the other thing we do with the foundation, we do have an emergency fund. Um, And so we always, uh, you know, just implore people, if you're interested in donating, please visit our website. So the great thing about the emergency fund, if restaurants are experiencing things from like equipment repair, um, we've seen some break-ins happening and uh, so we provide the restaurants with $1,000 cash grants so they could just come in and kind of um, kind of help tie up some of the loose ends so they don't always have to go to their insurance companies or, you know, sometimes when a hurricane comes, it's only so much FEMA could do. So um, we're really excited, too, for our emergency relief fund because we've been able to support businesses uh, in, in the place of emergency as well. Absolutely love it. Wow, what an amazing resource for the commun- your communities. Um, Felaine, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to us today on Dirty Linen. I think, you know, you're you're over there on the other side of the world from most of my listeners, but I feel like there's so much that um, is applicable and that we that, that we can share, especially in terms of that, that passion around food. Um, so, yeah, I'm so grateful to you. Uh, thanks so much for sharing with us and, and please stay in touch. No, thank you for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. Peace.